Hi, I'm Paul Shepard, your Mindset Coach, and welcome to the Mindset Change Podcast, where you can be inspired and learn how to transform your mindset so you can create the life you truly want to live. Today, I'm talking to Zen Monk, coach and author of the classic book, The Zen Life, Alex Mill, and he has just released a new book called A Shift to Love, which has had quite the impact on me as it really did challenge some beliefs I was holding on to. And welcome, Alex Mill. Thank you so much for having me, Paul. I appreciate the invitation. Oh, you're welcome. Congratulations on your new book, A Shift to Love. It's such a great book. It's changed a few things for me already. I wasn't expecting that, to be honest. I didn't know what to expect. And I was, because I listened to Zen Life, which I loved. And then I was reading A Shift to Love. And there's some really interesting concepts there that I really want to go through with you. But for anyone who's not listening, it'd be good uh, to know how you became a Zen monk, as this is the whole idea of what your book is about. I mean, it's quite, it's quite drastic. You know, it's quite a jump. <laughs> right? <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. So I, I was, um, so the story actually is in the book. So if anybody, mm-hmm. if I leave any details out, uh, it's only because I want to make sure we get to talk about other things because I can, mm. that's a whole uh, uh, section in and of itself about how uh, I ended up finding Zen. Uh, I was, uh, I would characterize myself as the person least likely to do something like leave everything I have and go train in a Zen monastery. I uh, describe myself in the book, and this is true, I was just a regular person, just a art artist who was um, in living in a big city and uh, stumbled upon uh, a book that was uh, written by a, a Zen teacher. And uh, I pulled it off the counter and started reading it. And my girlfriend at the time, uh, she's the one the reason why I ended up going into the bookstore in the first place. I was tagging along and trying to stay out of trouble because I was skeptical about all of this uh, new new age. It was a new age bookstore I was in. And um, anyway, I started reading the book and it was as though the person who was uh, writing the book was standing inside of my own head. Uh, she was uh, describing the process of having everything that you want in life and still being unhappy. And that's the situation that I certainly found myself in. Uh, it was as though the planets were completely in alignment I had the perfect relationship, the perfect job, the perfect home, everything should have equaled complete, utter contentment and happiness. And uh, I suspect many other people can really relate to this too, this feeling of always the next thing. I always have to get the next thing, have the next experience, meet a new person, do all of these things. And um, so there was just this emptiness, this bottomless uh, experience of just never enough. And um, that's what the author was talking about. And that's why I got sucked into it so heavily is because I just couldn't put my finger on it. It was always this experience of being walking around through life, but never really connecting or being a part of it. There was always this invisible barrier between me and everything that I was experiencing. And the dissatisfaction was the ultimate uh, experience that uh, I would say was the undercurrent. And I would have to say that I never would never have described myself as unhappy. I wasn't depressed. I was, had, like I said, I had lots of friends having a good time. It was just that one thing that shifted me over uh, to see life from a different perspective that uh, it's possible to have contentment, joy, peace, um, fulfillment, with everything exactly the way that it is. And um, I was like, wow, I have to, I have to find out more about this. And so anyway, I'll, I'll cut to the chase. I ended up buying that mm-hmm. book. I ended up buying a bunch of other books. That was my habit. I just collected anything that I was interested in. It was like, okay, if there was a record that I liked, I had to get everything that that composer or artist put together. Uh, and it was just nonstop. And so, and it would have been the same with this particular book had I not done one thing and I was avoiding that one thing for a very long time and that was meditation. 
Uh, it was because it was so fascinating to read all of these things. You know what I mean? It was just like, oh my God, this is such brilliance. Uh, why stop and do an exercise? Why stop and meditate? Why? Right. It was just, I was in the flow of just absorbing. But then after reading about nine or 10 of these books and every single one of them went into uh, how important meditation was, I was like, okay, well, it's silly for me to be reading books about meditation and I actually meditate. <laughs> so had I not meditated, I am pretty convinced that all of these books would have just found themselves into my enormous collection and nothing yeah. would have been different about my life. But um, meditation was the thing that set off everything else that happened because the inner processes started to slow down. I started to get insights. The things that I was reading at the time started to click into place. And um, there were a lot of things that I still didn't have a hold of, didn't quite comprehend. And so I just dove in deeper. And then we were traveling cross country, my girlfriend and I. And so it just made sense for me to just check out a Zen monastery as one of the things that we do along the as way. You do. And you just so, check out a Zen monastery. <laughs> I just had a Zen monastery and just never left. That's the joke in my, you know, everybody that knows me is. <laughs> so anyway, that's the abbreviated version of how it all happened. There's, I go into a little bit more detail in, in the book itself. No, I, I, the meditation side of things, I can relate to that. It's one of these things which, you know, I've looked at for what, 30 years and I paid token service to it. I did bits and pieces of it. And then, you know, if I did it, it became a checklist. Oh, I've meditated for five to 10 minutes. Yes. Sure. You know, it was, you know, for a little <laughs> bit, did a bit of mindfulness. Yeah, I'm done. I'm all sorted. That'll make me a better person. Um, it didn't even touch right. the sides. It didn't touch the sides. And so what do you think is our biggest resistance to meditation? Why do we struggle with it so much? This, the voices in our heads. Um, yeah, yeah. You know, and... When I say voices, I don't mean this um, psychological thing where it's, you know, schizophrenia or anything like that. Uh, I just want to be really clear that, and I think several people who are now popular in the media, like Brene Brown and um, other mindfulness teachers talk about gremlins and voices. And so anybody who's sat in silence for any period of time knows that there's chatter going on. There's an incessant undercurrent of self-talk, and it is, um, it is the number one thing that is very much invisible to people until you actually start slowing things down and taking a look at it. Because we'll just say, oh, it's just me thinking. I'm just, mm. it's just, it's just me. So if I have a thought, it automatically belongs to me. I'm the author of it. It, um, it occurred in here, so it must be must be mine. And that's the the best, best gift I think I've ever received in all of whatever it is that I have uh, received in my time of training at the monastery and all the meditation is the understanding that whatever is going on in here doesn't necessarily belong to me. It is, I'm not the author of it. Oftentimes it is like downloaded, actually, you know, as you use technological term, it's uh, something that comes in and is speaking to me. And it's not only the biggest resistance to meditation, but resistance in general to anything else in life. So if you've ever wanted to do something really badly, or even not so badly, just you want to do something, and you find that you are unable to, uh, there is a high, high, high likelihood that it's because this is setting you up to perhaps desire that thing, and then coming in with a whole bunch of resistance about how you can't have that. I run into this all the time. People want to change their lives, do something good for themselves. And then the minute that there's an opportunity for that to happen, anything and everything will come in. I don't have time. I don't, I'll do it later. Um, there's not enough money. There's, it won't work for me. Who knows what this person is really about? You know, that I might just get taken advantage of. And it's really this. This is the thing that is creating the barrier. And so, uh, as I started to say, if you ever wanted to do something and you can't do it, and there's something that you don't want to do and can't seem to stop, 
that is that is our relationship with the voices. I, I, I want everybody that is listening to this to know that um, there is a way to shift that around, to turn that uh, in the opposite mm-hmm. direction so that uh, there is a way to volitionally create your life and do something different than the automatic pilot of what feels like being out of control and not being able to have say in uh, creating a deliberate and conscious, compassionate life. Uh, so that is the biggest resistance to meditation. Um, yeah. So where, where and it'll show up lots of different ways. You know, they do. Oh, you know, I really go loved, ahead. Yeah, yeah. I'm sorry. I, I loved your analogy in the book of the chocolate cake, and you know, it's the voices. <laughs> yes. the, the voices. The voices. We've all been there. The voices tell you to have the chocolate cake. Then you have the chocolate cake. And then That's it right. kicks your ass for having the chocolate cake. You get berated, <laughs> the guilt That's and the right. shame. You yeah. know, you lose them. You've like, where, where is your willpower? You know, it's, but where do these voices come That's from? Right. Where, you know, it's, you know, is this something from outside of ourselves? Is it something inside of ourselves? What is this voice? Yeah. So um, the way we talked about it at the monastery is that um, human beings have a unique um, situation in life because as far as we can tell we're the ones who are the ones that struggle with this thing uh, it's the ability to experience ourselves as separate from life to have this internal uh dialogue going on and um it uh you know i i don't want any, i don't want any of what i say to be taken as the truth it's mm-hmm. more of my experience seems to match to what we're talking about what i've learned and so i encourage everyone to not assume that i understand you know, this is this is what's going on, and this is the this okay. is this is how it all works. But um, I want people to find out for themselves the truth of that, and then um, see if there's something they want to do differently. But um, as we're growing up, and um, maybe people can really relate to this, is that um, as a child, the process of socialization uh, can be rather traumatic or difficult or hard. And I don't care how loving of a family you've come from, the interpretation that the infant or the child growing up has, it will be whatever it is that, um, that, that it is. So even if you're loving, there's something that's going to happen that is going to be something unpleasant for the child. And I don't want adults hearing this who are happen to be parents or teachers or anyone that's in, in contact with children to be crippled or paralyzed with, oh, I can't do anything to traumatize the child. My teacher would say, it's a given that this is going to happen, <laughs> uh, that the child yeah. will be socialized and you will traumatize yeah. it, to do it in a way that is most um, comfortable for you. Uh, <laughs> um, and so as we are growing up, we start splintering off these different, uh, survival systems start cr- being created. And, um, the voice is originally designed to do something like, um, uh, look out for our survival. Uh, don't trust this. Don't do that. Don't touch that. Don't right. So you, you know, you, you are a, a uh, loser if you have that cake, right? So something along the, the way set up a dynamic to watch over us and to put us in line whenever um, whenever we stray. And um, in my experience, we're still carrying that around and uh, it is the undercurrent of uh, our identity. It's like everything just starts building and building and building and pretty soon the the child that reaches about six or seven has an entire wall around it that it is now relating to instead of life. It's like trusting the inner knowing or the spontaneity or that uh, freshness uh, to life uh, starts to disappear and uh, referencing the voice uh, to see how am I fitting in? Am I surviving? Am I doing the right thing? uh, Kicks in. And it is pretty much been in charge of our lives since we had language, since we were able to actually um, move about and do things in life. And uh, that's why it's so challenging and why I want people to uh, approach this process if they plan on doing this with as much patience and kindness and compassion and 
uh, understanding as possible because it has all of these years of the voices have they have all of these years of controlling us and being the authority that we reference mm -hmm. constantly and so it's important to realize that you're not going to just sit down and meditate a few times or read something inspirational or and then everything is going to suddenly change for you that's not my experience of how it works it is an ever evolving process it's a practice there uh and uh it's a joyful one because once you actually see the distinction between what the voices are versus what's left when they're not. This is why I like to talk about it. Zen has this kind of negative thing, right? You know, but it's the negative of no voices and what's left when they're gone. Okay. There's a distinction between those two experiences that is very powerful. And in Zen, it's all about the awareness. So we're not, it's so tricky to work with, with people that I, uh, coach and people that are students in the retreat, because there's this autopilot of, I need to fix, I need to improve, I need to change, I need to uh, get self, self-improve, I need to do something to, um, to change this all. And that's going to be running in the background of the awareness that we're simply bringing to the process. Because my point around all of this is that Awareness is the thing that actually shifts everything around. It's finally seeing how it all works. It's like, um, it's like opening up the hood of a car uh, and looking at all of, you know, if you, don't, if you don't actually, if you're not a mechanic or you're not mechanically inclined, then that experience is what it is. It's like, oh my God, that's what people's experience is when they first uh, start to do this work. It's like, whoa. But the process of practice is seeing how it all goes together and the function and how it works. And once you see how it all works and you become masterful at this, like a mechanic would be, then it's like, oh, it's this. Oh, it's that. Mm. And yeah. it's not the fact that their person is working really hard at this point to figure out how it's all going. It's that it's like, it's like a map. It's all there. And that's where we're going with, if we're going anywhere with this practice, it is that place of not ever being confused about how it all goes together. And it's going to take consistent practice to get to this place. And I hate to say it as a place because it's not really this arrival thing, you know, mm -hmm. Buddha practice till he, till he died, because there's always some level of the, how this works to see through uh, and to keep practicing with. So no, no, anyway, I, I hope I answered your question. I don't even you know did. at this point. You did. I, I, <laughs> like I, can, I, can bit, I can agree a little bit more. No, I was, I was, you know, I was meditating the other day and I, I, tell it, I tell it to my clients and I was just sat there and this little voice said, how much time you got left? And I could feel this little pressure build up in my chest as in to say, oh, we've not got enough time for this. And that's an old program. Uh -huh. and it was just, it was nice for it to pop up. Because it was just a reminder that I used to rush. It was always about trying to get things uh -huh. done, you know, tick, you know, tick boxes. So it was just a little reflection of that. And well, you know, I just, all I, yeah. sorry. I, I, I'm sorry. I, yeah. Something that occurs to me is that um, the, the way it all works is, um, is really, really super subtle. So um, uh, an awareness of time in this example that you give could be, like um, something that is asking you to pay attention to something that may have slipped through, right? It's kind of like mm -hmm. the, I use the analogy of walking out the door and then the insight of keys pops in. And it's like, oh yeah, I need keys if I'm going to go drive. So I better go get the keys. So for me, the, the, the one word or the quick impulse, you know, the, the, the thing that says time goes, oh, it, that's really helpful. It's the process that happens right on the heels of that. It's like, oh my God, you need to panic, right? Or you're not going to have time. Uh, yeah. And therefore things are going to go awfully wrong. That's where it cascades into Voicesville, right? The, pro the, the ability that we have at that crossroads is using an insight like time to help us uh, now prioritize and actually 
because there's a way to proactively use that information um, yeah. as well as go into outright panic. And uh, did you see what I mean? It's like it's um, yeah, yeah. it's something that 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 happens in lots of different circumstances, right? And so um, there are lots of little steps along the way that are really helpful to see. And what I like to do with uh, the folks that are um, practicing with me is to start to break down um, how can we how can we use this instead of it using us, and um, that's when it all starts to really turn around. So that's, it comes back to something else you said in your book. You know, we're talking about working with the mind. You said in your book, the state of the world is a mirror for the state of our minds. You know, what would someone uh, reading that think? You know, because, you know, a basic question would be, how am I responsible for the war, disease and, you know, climate change? You know, um, I think I know what you mean. But what would you say to someone who's saying, hang on uh-huh. a second, I'm not responsible for what's, how I see the world, surely? Yeah, there are, uh, there are several layers to that. Um, the first layer is um, the layer of we are, we are responsible for our experience of life in that um, it's kind of like the analogy of opening a window and seeing snow falling. And I don't know if you've heard this before, if this metaphor has been used elsewhere, but um, to the person who doesn't really like snow, it's uh, um, the story is I'm not going to be able to go where I need to go. It's gonna, I'm going to have my car. I have to clean my car off. I need to, it's just, it's ruined all my plans. Um, to the person who loves snow, it's like, oh, wow, I get to go make a s- snow person. I get to go hiking in the snow. I get to go skiing. And so what's what's the reality, really? It's so the, and I'm not suggesting that war, famine, and all of these other things are just a figment of like, well, you could see the positive. I'm not trying to put a spin on any of this that it's like th- these things aren't going on. But our experience, very much like what I was saying earlier about, you know, the thing that drops in about time, it's like it's it's very neutral. Do you know what I mean? It's like it's actually something that's trying to bring your awareness to something that may have slipped by. And the, the story that gets downloaded that debilitates us is the thing that we are trying to um, address. Right. So. What I see is a lot of good people in the world get downloaded all of these things to be terrified in the world, but there is nothing that is proactive about any of it. Do you see what I mean? It's like, okay, well, that's helpful if you are going to do something to assist with climate change. If you are going to assist with wars that are, if you are going to do something Mm. proactive to shift it. See, this is where the responsibility lies. So I'm trying to get people out of the suffering element of it because you suffering over the suffering of the world helps nobody. All it does is just add one more suffering person to the pile. And um, it may seem like, yeah, it may seem like it's the responsible thing to do you care? Like, I care. Therefore, I have all of these opinions of how bad this is and how bad that is. But having all of those opinions doesn't feed a child, doesn't stop a war, doesn't change the climate. So there's, so there's that element of it. Okay. So that's that, that, that layer. And what I want to help when I work with people is shift them into being from being debilitated by the voices to being empowered by what the goodness and the compassion and the kindness and the the force that animates can go out there and actually be uh, a force for good. Uh, so that's what I mean. And so I don't want the voices to go, you're now responsible, like, and, and then beat you for, you, know, you created all of this. No, no, no. That, the voices would love to put you in that place, right? You feel bad about it. I, I run into enough people who are like, oh, I'm traumatized by all of the animals that are being killed and harmed in the world. I'm like, okay, good. Let's use that. Let's, let's, let's flip that instead of you being tortured. Um, what's one small thing you can do to start moving in and moving your care of animals in the direction of, or the environment or social justice or whatever it is. 
to mm. something that would be good. And, and so the final, the, the, the other layer that I was referring to uh, was, um, I'm going to see if I can um, phrase this in a way that uh, makes it clear. Um, conditioned mind is operates in something wrong, not enough. And so um, oftentimes we are completely unaware of how we do, how we are a contribution to the things that are, uh, that the world is, the, the, the mirror of the contents of our mind is, is this. Um, and uh, there's a passage in the book that I uh, call Stream of Conscious Noise Pollution. And um, it's a small habit that we have, but it's one that, when we get together and socialize, we'll tend to talk about things and we tend to talk about things uh, randomly. And, um, and it's, all, it's oftentimes based in uh, what's wrong with the world, what's, what's not working, um, who's doing this and who's doing that. And so um, we don't, I, I don't think a lot of people are aware of how much that undercurrent actually shapes how they start acting and behaving in the world. And even though my actions are not to the degree of what atrocities are happening in the world, they do have their kernel in the way that they're showing up in, um, we used to talk about it as you know thought, um, emotion, behavior, and then action, right? The actions that I take out in the world. Uh, and then those start to shape the reality and you have enough people who are participating in this and voila, you know, we have the world as it is right now. And, um, and so, you know, the, our relationship, our ability to experience ourselves as separate with the voices of egocentricity um, is our greatest opportunity, both personally and uh, for the survival of everyone on the and everything on the planet, and so it is our responsibility to a degree to uh, turn turn this around, uh, because as we can see what's going on in the world, it's going to really require us to 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 shift out of where we have been and shift to what we have the possibility of becoming and living and breathing. And so it's always um, hard opening for me to see another person who has done the work and taken the shift uh, and out of just intellectually understanding it to that, taking steps to first transform themselves and along the way transform those that are closest to them and um, then beautifully ripple out as far as we can possibly go because the, it doesn't. Um, Practice doesn't end with us. This is going to the bodhisattva idea, right? The person who has awakened doesn't just hang out under a tree and be awakened. Uh, that person goes back out into the market and actually makes an impact on everyone else around them. So save all sentient beings. That's really what that's all about is uh, I'm not going to uh, just focus on how I benefited. Cause that's really, when you start off, it's mm. just like, I just want peace. I just want calm. I just want happiness for myself. Uh, and you know, that's great, you know, cause if you're starving, feed yourself first. It's the oxygen mask falls down, put it on your face first. Definitely. And there's more, <laughs> there's more to do. We have to roll up our sleeves, you know, we have to get out there and, and, um, and that's why I felt when, you know, uh, with the book and everything that I've done since I've left the monastery is um, giving back with the same coin that I have been given. It's like, look, I've been given all of this great uh, teaching and uh, experiences and practices and tools. Now is my way to go back out into the world and see how can I offer this in a way that um, makes it available to others should they choose to want it for themselves. and it's it's not it's not easy it's fun challenging daunting rewarding all of these things but it takes a certain level of commitment and seriousness to the process and uh, at the very beginning can be very uh very much like uh 
being shaken up and uh, thrown into a room, and which is what Zen monks had to endure when they first got into a monastery. <laughs> you know, it was wow. like, are you ready for this? And they would be <laughs> shaken up, and um, uh, and uh, would ask several times, "Are you sure? Are you sure?" And it was all through action. So anyway, yeah. I could talk no, endlessly about yeah, all this no, stuff. It's so much fun. I think I, again, it's one of the things that I like to promote. I've talked about it on the podcast, and I talk about it with my clients is if we can become the best versions of ourselves and develop a really healthy relationship with ourselves, then we have time for other people around us. Well, it's like a ripple. We can have an effect on the people around us yes. and, and, and that spreads out. But if we don't have time for ourselves, caring for other people and caring for the planet seems so hard. And I think that's where, you know, that's, that's what right. I see a lot of. I think people are really struggling to develop that relationship with themselves. And I think your book is a great point. It's a you know a great pointer at you know go within, and you know I talk about it on the show. I mm-hmm. I, I do meditations on my show. Uh, people who come to work with me, as they would come right. to work with you, it's it's not about the outside goals. I mean they're great, go for them, but it's who you become along the way that is the biggest you know the biggest gift that keeps on giving in my view. But you also have an impact on the other people That's around right. at the same time. It's a win win. Yeah, yeah. Oh, absolutely. It's um and uh, I love how you put it that way because it isn't a um it is a parallel track. It is not like um um I hear so much about uh you know, love yourself first before you love others. I don't have a time sequence with this. As as you mm. begin to fill the cup, it will start overflowing and at that point it, other people are brought into that all. Uh but if it stays empty, like the way that I described it, is this bottomless hole just keeps pouring and pouring and pouring. And if there's nothing, no place to receive it, no, no, because people do, you know, they'll say, I don't know if you've been in this position before, but they give compliments, they love on you and all, mm. and it just completely will go, oh, they're just saying that, or that's not true, or I'm so unbubble. So if there's no place for it to land and be received and to start to fill up in, uh, if that uh, vessel has a hole in it, a bottomless hole, like I described myself having, then yeah, no, no, no amount of anything will make a difference. And so that's why um, all the things that we try to achieve in the world is in service to giving us the experience of fulfillment. And that's why none of them actually fulfills because it is bottomless. It's like the car mm-hmm. falls in, the person falls in, the new job falls in. I write a book, it just falls in. And then afterwards, it's like, God. I feel so depleted. Why? Why? I just finished. I just got this. I got this. It's like maybe for a couple of days, the new car will be shiny. And then after <laughs> after a while, it's like, okay, well, next. Right? Yeah. And well, so we're not happy. Where's the happiness? Well, I thought I was going to be happy. <laughs> <laughs> right. I was, supposed to get, I was supposed to have happiness as a result of this. And um, that's not really that's not really where it is. And so, yeah, it's very important for us to... Um, do this parallel track of, uh, and it's just going to happen. It's not one of those things where, see, when people say think of other people and do service and all of these things, sometimes that is an avenue to opening us up to mm-hmm. that kind of care and that ability, but not a hundred percent, not necessarily. And so, uh, because sometimes it's a way of avoiding ourselves. You know what I mean? It's like, uh, we're not doing any work. We're just sacrificing ourselves. And I run into this a lot of times with mothers, right? It's like, I'll do anything for my child. I have no time for myself. I have no ability to care for any of these things. And so what the children get is sacrificing yourself for others is, is what you're supposed to do. And yeah, that's um, a powerful message. There, there is there. a way. Right. Well, there yeah, is a way to have it all. And that's what I'm trying to do with, with folks is see that um, they go, they, you can, as you start to focus on how it is that you leave for this to care for others without caring for yourself, how, how the voices tell you that one way is better than another, you'll start to take actions for yourself and others around you and you become a model of somebody who can give and receive right and so the the wheel is wheel is complete because what you want is you want to understand that 
what I want from my child is who I am being. So if you if you want uh, sacrificing everything and being miserable along the way for others, then keep doing that. If you want, however, someone who uh, is uh, modeling, I'm not perfect, I'm doing my best, I'm practicing with everything that is arising for me, I'm going up against whole year, like generations of doing things in a way that has been unhelpful and hurtful, and I'm cleaning it up. That's my responsibility. I'm taking back to what we were talking about, responsibility. Zen is a process of cleaning up that karma uh, personally and you know universally along the way, take, take, taking responsibility for it so that, um, so that we just work our way to get to a place where we where we're tidying up everything that we've touched uh, or uh, has been touched even before us uh, so that uh, we can leave something good for others, you know, our children yeah. and the planet. So the voices, just to, just to clarify things. So we've got these the voices, which are, I call sure. it primal, primal hypnotic conditioning. Um, and, but we've got, oh, we've got a light side, yeah. we've got, a, light side, we've got a, a part of us that really wants the good stuff. We've got a part of us that, you know, encourages people to listen to podcasts. It comes up, they come and have coaching with you or read your book. So how do we develop this, the, the other part of us? That's the light side, is it? Is our light side and dark side? How does it work? Oh, the light room. Yeah, the light room versus the dark room. And so um, I referred to it earlier as the voices and what's left when we're not in relation to the, yeah. to the voices. Um, it's really important to, um, when you say develop, I... Um, it's one of those funny, um, not funny, haha, but ironic situations where um, the work that I encourage people to do, I, I don't know, I don't know if, if this is what everybody else does as well. So I apologize. I'm not really uh, familiar with a, what a lot of folks do with with people around, um, you know, this this concept of a better self, the um, the part of uh, the part of us who wants to do good and all that, and how to develop that. Um, my, my my experience seeing seeing how the voices do what they do to keep us away from that. I have this notion that that's what's there. That's 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 underneath everything else. That's um, that gets revealed as we start to see through how the voices work. And so it's not how can I be a better human being? It's um, how can I see through what keeps me from being the human being that I would be if okay. I stopped relating to the voices that are stopping? You see, because it's like, um, and, I, and people will discover this along the way in the process of doing the practice. They will start to see um, little areas in which they weren't in relationship with the voices and they've often done these really heroic things. Like I've, I've moved to a new location. I started a relationship. I did, you know, all these really amazing transitions that required bravery and courage and an open heart. And, and so sometimes things that happen to us in life, open that up for us to be able to access uh, where this isn't, you know, oftentimes in emergencies, you know, where, you know, people come together after a tragedy and they just, they, um, the goodness just emerges, you know, I just rush to save the person who is falling from or drowning in or whatever. And, um, and then what happens is this starts closing back in again. And um, we're in relationship to that. And we won't wait a feeling of constantly trying to get back to this baseline of being open to life that way, being excited about life that way. Um, so my encouragement would be to do everything you can to practice seeing through those voices and get back to that baseline. And then it's a matter of practicing your relationship with the opposite, with um, compassionate self-mentoring, right? To, mm -hmm. um, to, um, to, to, to develop that relationship of, so let's face it, I, I don't know about you, but before practice, um, my, my relationship to myself was, um, was not this kind of like, 
uh, supportive environment. I wouldn't call the in- my experience inside of myself a supportive environment, like looking out for the, my best interest, making sure I was eating well, sleeping well, taking care of myself physically, mentally, emotionally, uh, encouraging my- myself to to perform uh, better or learn better or 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 um, all of these things that we really wish we had. Uh, as we were growing up, you know, to have that kind of yeah. internal uh, system set up for ourselves. And so that's the practice that we are cultivating once it's, it's actually not separate. It's not like get rid of voices, work on re- relationship with yourself. It is that parallel track that I was referring to earlier. They go, they go hand in hand together. And so um, I hope I answered your question around how do we cultivate that uh that yeah, it's, uh, it's, well, it's, I think it's cultivating, really about seeing. cultivating that mentor inside of us because it's it's funny, isn't it? I, when I talk to parents, they would love to be like that with their children, and and they are, and you know, they're really encouraging and you know supportive, yeah. and they, and it's wonderful. But when it comes to themselves, they have this angry, derogatory voice that can be quite shaming. Uh, And I had that for quite a long time. It was, uh, I had an anxiety disorder and I was so angry with myself for failing to sort it out by myself. Mm. And it was something I've come through and that's Mm. why I do what I do now. So that was my, you know, I'm fulfilling my purpose. It's, this is the the thing that I I, I talk about the most. And it's, so again, it's, so what I really like is that, so you're not trying to get rid of the dark side. You're not trying to get too, grow the right light side you're, you're trying to it's, it's a parallel seeing through and just de- just in developing a better it's relationship a, it's an awareness yeah. practice yeah Amazing. yeah it's an awareness practice it's like um my favorite my favorite analogy is um when you when you when you're in a dark room you can't see anything and you imagine that there's a hole in this dark room and you keep walking and you keep falling into it you keep stumbling uh, and that's us uh, with this social conditioning stuff is that the room is dark and we keep stumbling and falling into it. And that's because it's a complete, uh, we don't, we don't see it coming. It's a mystery. We live in this kind of constant fear of it, but when the lights get turned on, you start to see it and you don't have to become a better person. You don't have to, uh, work really hard at not falling into the hole. It's like the hole is there. And when you see it, you just stop falling into it. You just stopped, stop going along with it. And same is true with the voices, but we, we have to detangle them to a certain extent because we've confused them to be us. Right. So, you know, even the, even the expression, I would beat myself up. I would be harsh and critical toward myself that those are not true statements at all. That is not how it's worked. That's not how it works. And so, but it's a habit that's ingrained in us that mm. we keep carrying with us. And it's a misunderstanding. And see, that misunderstanding, once you see it for what it is, that changes everything. And once that changes everything, then, then, you, then you have the ability to grow whatever it is that you want. Um, because at the beginning, I'll have to confess, people who are doing the work with me, they'll focus a lot of their time on the voices. It's, and it's, I saw this at the monastery too. It's almost, almost like this fascination with them. They're like, Ooh, I gotta, you know, Ooh, we gotta, you know, I, this is how I'm battling the voices today. And it's like, look, where we're really heading toward is the life that we can start choosing when we've, when we've seen through and are now able to um, choose something different than the voices. Um, and it's such an, uh, such a foreign concept to people to wake up and focus on the thing that they're going to make, that's going to make the biggest contribution and the, to themselves, others around themselves and the world, because that's the vacuum that's created. Once we start seeing through the voices is like, Hmm, I don't want to see through a voice. What am I going to do now? And it's so easy to revert back to, um, some version of, the way the voices tortured them before, like um, mm. taking on a project and immersing themselves in it and having the same, like burned, being burned out from all of the work that's involved in that. And uh, so yeah, it's a, it's a tricky place. And that's why I encourage everyone to have somebody who has more experience than them to help guide them along the way. That's the gift that I had when I was training as a, 
people who are doing this the work alongside of me. We're all doing the same thing. We had a teacher who was able to see through the snares and traps that we would fall into and then guide. That's why she was called the guide to guide us back to where, where we knew we were, we wanted to live. And what happens is just as we practice, we start to, you know, stumble along and go, Oh, well, that's not it. Maybe we got back over, back over here. Maybe back over here. (laughs) So, um, I just find it really helpful. And that's why I don't encourage anyone to take this on alone. You'll see people who say things like I am my own guru and, Mm -hmm. um, as lovely as that sounds, because it comes from the concept of, you know, yourself better than anyone else in the world. And what people don't realize is that the yourself we're talking about is the part that is a complete and utter mystery to them. So until you understand that the relationship between the voices and what's left when, when there aren't, when there aren't any, the guidance you're oftentimes likely receiving as your own guru, uh, could be, could be this. And so the guide is not telling you right and wrong, go this way or go that way. The guide is simply shining a light on the inner processes that are going on so that you see them for what they are. And then you can be your own guru with um, wisdom and understanding about the distinction between the voices versus that, um, that inner mentor. I'm sorry, just a little bit of tangent, but I think that, that's really important to. Yeah, it is, it is, you know, it is very important. And it, it, you know, it reminds me, I think my, the biggest ever revelation I ever had, and it, it took me a while to understand it, was that the thoughts in my head were not real. The voices in my head were not real. My attachment to them. And mm-hmm. I never got that. It took me a, a while to get it. I was like, what do you mean? I'm thinking it, so it must be real. I, I didn't, I couldn't separate the two. And then we when I heard that moment, it real. Yeah, we experienced yeah, but the thought itself. No, I, was, I just wanted to say yeah, that I, I yeah. don't want to diminish. I don't want to diminish what other people are experiencing. Uh, you know, like um, uh, yes, they're completely made up. Uh, they are, like I said before, they're just downloaded into us. The the shift that happens is like the the hole that was invisible before the lights came on is that we don't have to believe them any longer. That's that's really where we're. That's really where yeah, we're going it was, it was, with it them. Was that bit. Is that they it don't was, go away. Yeah. yeah. yeah it was yes. that bit that when I realized I didn't have to believe my thoughts, it was the biggest weight off my shoulders. I was just like, what? Really? Absolutely. And, you know, I remember crying. I remember <laughs> thinking, what? But, I, you know, I just, I, when I had that, finally, I finally got it. It made such a big difference to me. And that's something that I see with, you must see that with clients today. It's that realization that, you don't have, they are options. Hmm. There might be a good option, but you have the ability to filter out whether it's a useful thought or not. Correct. Yeah. And it's like, um, it just becomes apparent. Uh, it's like we used to joke around at the monastery. It'd be so powerful. It'd be so convenient if whenever we succumb to the voices, we turn blue um, because then we would know there would be some kind of evidence that Oh, okay. Going the wrong way, going going in a way that's unhelpful, but we don't, and so we have to we have to do the practice to become aware of uh, the distinction between them. And so, but it's an ongoing thing because it's it's really subtle. Um, and I think uh, until people have an experience of it, these are just concepts that are uh, that are just fun to understand. Because I have a whole group of people who are following a movement of if it feels good then it must be right. If there's resistance to it, it must be wrong. And mm. I mean, I get it that it sounds lovely. You know, you're frowning, you're, you're going like, yeah. mm. well, yeah. because I suspect that yeah. you're probably going, you're probably like, um, you're probably tapping into what I'm, what's going on for me around it is that, look, anytime you want to do something that is going to be powerfully helpful to you, um, there's going to be a whole lot of resistance to doing that. Absolutely. And, uh, the voices may allow you to be able to do a, for do it for a few days, but I'm telling you, the minute you start to turn things around for yourself, they are certainly going to come in with a boatload of resistance. And so, 
Um, I'm not a fan of the, it's got to be easy. It's got to be natural. It's got to be free flowing because I just know how much this gets in the way of doing anything really dramatically different that's positive for, for somebody. So anyway, that's my spiel. No, no, about, I agree with you. I, um, don't, I don't think there's much fruit on a barren, empty path. I think it's very tempting to take the flat road, <laughs> but I've never seen, you know, we don't grow that much. You know, I did a podcast episode called Is Your no. Average Life Making You Anxious? And it was all about that growth, you know, the best forms of growth that we've all had, in, in my view, is when we've been challenged and when we've overcome yeah. something and we've grown from that experience. And we won't get that if we try and keep Correct. you know to what to a familiar zone. I wanted to ask you about something That's because right. you challenged me in your book quite nicely. You um so I talk about oh. don't compare yourself to other people. And in your book, you're like, hang on a sec. So I wanted to ask you about uh, you know, you're talking about judgment and comparison. It was in in, in one lovely section of your book and I wanted to add just to get your explanation sure. on, on that because it really did make me think hang on he's got a good point so can you talk a little bit further about that for me yeah absolutely I think what you're referring to is the um uh there's such a concept as judgment and perfectionism and all of these other words that you know in the spiritual world and in the personal development world and comparison and things like that that are, are kind of like um they're taboo they're like uh, no stop doing that stop mm. stop um because they're often associated with our relationship with the voices so on one level yeah it's back to um the responsibility that we have with the world it's not that these things don't exist it's that where we tend to go with them or where the voices in our head tend to go with them is a place that is completely unhelpful. So comparison comes in, okay, I'm this way, that person's that way. And what the voices try to do is you're less than that person's greater than, or it could be the other way around. You're better than, and they're less than, and that creates a whole different level of suffering for an individual too, right? So I don't want to ever minimize i don't want i don't want people who are on the high end of the comparison or the judgment or the whatever the perfectionism to feel like they're exempt from any kind of suffering and it's that experience of being separate that is the part that causes us to to suffer and have dissatisfaction and um and and separation um so but that's that's the path that we are on constantly is that in this moment I am the person who has the ability to choose between the light room and the dark room. And so um, whatever content comes through. So if it's comparison, okay, well, I could either use that comparison to uh, help me or I could use that comparison or the voices use that comparison to cripple me and throw me into uh, suffering around that. So that's where we are in every single moment is this choice place. And I like to back to what I was saying earlier, like I like to uh, create a situation in which people are empowered by that, that moment. This is why meditation Mm -hmm. is so important as well. Just throwing a plug again, back to meditation where we started is that what you're doing in meditation is learning how to direct your attention. Okay. And so it's over and over again, my attention wanders, I'm bringing it back. I'm wander, bringing it back. And this is why mindfulness meditation, just to be specific uh, is so important is because that's what we're trying. That's what we're attempting to do in that kind of meditation is um, notice that our attention is not here, bringing it back. And when we have that ability, then we get to this crossroads in every moment in life and we have the ability to bring it back and go, okay, which direction would I like to choose? And if uh, our attention is habitually wandering this way and that, it's easy for the voices to latch onto that and direct us and guide us along wherever it wants to go. So it's really important. These are like these little foundational steps that I think people can start to take. There's one action you can take, learn Zen meditation or mindfulness-based meditation to direct your attention to where you want it to be. Then the rest of the work that I offer is about, um, okay, now that your attention is here and you're practicing bringing it here, what do you do? Because people get off the cushion. They think that 
the experience of meditation was it in it of itself. It's like an experience, like going to a spa or massage. And then when I, once I'm done meditating, I get back out in my life and listen to the voices constantly. No, you keep bringing it back and you keep living this way and you keep making deliberate choices in every moment. And that's when judgment becomes very useful. Ah, okay, judgment. Um, how is that? How is that occurring? What what is that in service to? Um, how is this? How can this be helpful? Right. Uh, same as comparison or perfectionism. I, I think I use the example of perfectionism in the book. When has perfectionism been helpful to you? And then people will rattle off. Oh well, it's when I was studying for my exam. I got everything that I needed. I checked all the boxes. I I did. I, I followed the recipe thoroughly. You know, I did. I did all these things as perfectly as I could, and the quality was was enormous because of that. Good. And when has perfectionism been harmful to you? Well, they list all that off too. Mm. It stopped me from yeah. actually doing mm. the thing that I wanted to do. It, it prohibited me from. And when you start to see through how those processes are different, you'll realize that when perfectionism has been unhelpful is because you're, this was talking you into experiencing fear of things that happen that could happen in the future and dread about, you know, the uh, comparison about what happened in the past. Uh, and in the other times, it's been that moment where it's shown through your, who you authentically are. It's like being able to choose when that part of you who is able to do things in a way that is masterful and skillful that arose, that allowed perfectionism to arise. That is, um, that's a that's a snapshot of uh, what it's like to live one way and what it's like to live the other way, and that's why I'm I, I don't like to talk about like um, these ambiguous concepts because mm. taken out of concept uh, context, it depends, right? Are you are you choosing one this path? Or are you choosing that path? Um, another metaphor I like to give is um, being generous. You know, being um, we often think that's that's a really that's a really positive thing that everybody should do. See somebody giving money to a to a homeless person, and we don't really understand what is going on inside of the person. Um, well, a person could be doing this out of guilt to look good uh, in front of others, uh, to get somebody away from them as quickly as possible, uh, or it could be I really want to help. I care about this person. I. That inner experience is only available to the person doing that. But when, when, if that person is doing spiritual practice or the practice that I learned when I was training, that becomes everything. You get to go through life going, how do I do this? How do I do that? What's going on for me honestly with this? What's going on for me honestly around that? That's why practice becomes this really fun uh, thing that we do that, uh, it's it's like a game. It's like a it's like the best game in town, really. I think it's your like you're washing your I dishes. Hope that is. Yeah, I did. You know, you talked about the the mind. You know, using mindfulness to wash dishes, but you talked about it in a way which just really sort of struck home in regards to just the way that you, you know, because some people obviously see it as a chore, and yet, and some people you know could focus on eat soap sad, but you had a different thought about it. Sure. Oh, I'm sorry. It blipped out a little bit. I, okay. I, you asked a question around it. What was yeah. it? Yeah. The question was, uh, could you just remind me of the um, how you process doing a chore like washing dishes in, in a mindful way? How I process doing yeah. a chore like um, Well, it's like um, it's, it's an extension of what, what we've been talking about is like, am I choosing the voices or the story that's going on for me around it, or am I choosing to actually be in the experience of it? We watch children. If you watch children or you watch animals, dogs, you know, um, uh, they don't have a lot of this stuff that we have around it. Like, especially the younger, the younger, the child, because again, like I said, conditioning sets in at a certain age and then it's like, man, I don't want to. Right. But, um, but a child, uh, it will oftentimes uh, just spontaneously be like a like 
really true to whatever is going on with them around whatever experience is there. You know, if they're displeased, they'll be completely displeased. If they're uh, joyful or if this is a fun, interesting experience, it's, it's the adults that project all of this stuff onto them that shapes how they relate to it later, right? So we create dividing lines between this is work versus this is fun, this is, this is for them, this is for me. Uh, and they're artificial, you know, like talk about, you know, how the voices are completely make-believe. All of these lines in the sand, as I like to call them, these are the places where the voices have drawn for us in our lives. I am like this. I am not like that. And it, powerful exercises for people to do because what we're doing is realizing we ain't none of this, okay? So the very interesting concept from Buddhism is that uh, there is no self. You know, everybody's like, who am, I, who am I authentically? Well, the truth is there ain't nobody, right? Who you are is what's created in the moment. And oftentimes the voices create that for us through all of these distinctions, these lines in the sand that they've drawn for us, right? I like this. I don't like that. I believe this. I don't believe that. This is good. This is bad. This is right. This is wrong. And we live in relationship to all of those without ever questioning them or actually even going, where did that come from? That, do I really feel that way? Or um, not even being able to be open to something different. And so um, we get down to something like a chore, like washing dishes. It becomes a game in and of itself to go, Okay, well, what's arising? And I'm not suggesting that we go, ah, voices, you know. Like, I want everything that people experience in life to be an opportunity to mirror for them where they're, where they're kept stuck and enslaved and how, you know, like, why do I like this? Why do I don't like that? Just, just being curious. That's what's involved in this whole process mm -hmm. of doing spiritual practice is being immensely curious. A lot of people approach it as something more to know and understand and know as truth, like the closed fist approach, like, oh, this is it. This is this is right. And I'm constantly like, no, no, open that up. You have no clue. I have no clue. Let's explore it. I'll shine a light over here. If that does anything for you, go there or go here. It, it is constantly always, this is why any great spiritual teacher will always make, will instead of giving you answers to your questions, question your answers. <laughs> <laughs> you know, just think, uh, yeah. constantly yeah. just go, yeah, you know, I don't know. We'll go find out. <laughs> I think that's so refreshing. So refreshing. Uh, we could talk forever, literally. There's so many things I haven't started. Oh, I know. Yet. We Maybe can. We'll, have to, we'll, have to, we'll have to come back. But I just wanted to, as we're beginning to wrap up, just so you do uh, coaching and retreats. Uh, where can people find out more about if they wanted to work with you? Alex, uh, where can they find out details of how to contact you and uh, find out more about what you offer as, sure. a, as, a, as a coach, etc.? Oh, absolutely. Um, so I have a website. Uh, it's um, currently uh, Zen Life. Zen Life is all one word, and it's .coach, not .com. So it's uh, okay. .coach. Uh, if they go there, uh, everything that I offer currently will be there. Um, the the book is there too. So if people are interested there, um, the next step after the book, of course, my recommendation would be to do the meditation workshop. Uh, and then I've put together three 30-day online programs that involve coaching with me. They're uh, intensive deep dives and um, they're meant to be done in your life with whatever is going on currently. They're called retreats, not as uh, something where you have to put special time aside and be retreating. Uh, they're called retreats because they're very interactive. They're engaged, uh, but they don't take all of your time for the day. For instance, it's uh, 20 to 40 minutes max that you would be spending per day. But okay. in my experience, what I find is that that process of showing up day after day after day, that's what starts to make the transformation for people. So I want people to know that there is a way that they can begin and that there's a where to go with this, that it would just, it, there's, if you want to go deeper, if you really want to be free and experience inner peace and that kind of thing as a, a way of living, there is a process for doing that. So uh, that was my mission Wonderful. when I left the monastery was how can I make this work available here now 
with what people have going on in their lives so they don't have to travel to some distant monastery at the end of a dirt road in the middle of nowhere and <laughs> practice for years on end like I did. <laughs> Amazing. So I'm going to put your details in the show notes. So if you are interested in contacting Alex for his retreats and to uh, buy his book, uh, everything will be within the show notes. And all you've got to do is click that there. Alex, thank you so much. This has been amazing. Uh, I hope you come back and we can talk more about the similar things I've not asked you. Uh, but yeah, good luck oh, with the book please, as well. Oh, please, invite me yeah. back. Yeah, you'll be coming yeah. back. Um, uh, good luck with the book. <laughs> I, it, honestly, it's such a good thank read. You. So please do have a look on Amazon for more good booksellers. Uh, a shift to love. It's really worth reading. And also check out Zen Life as well. That was how I find Alex. And then I had to, obviously had to go and get the sequel. Um, but there's, obviously there's so much more to you. Anyway, but thank you so much for, for today. Oh, thank you so much, Paul. I so appreciate you inviting me. And yes, you, you have complete control over whether I come back on again or not. <laughs> <laughs> I'll say yes. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks very much. You are so welcome. Thank you. I really did enjoy interviewing Alex. Thank you so much for listening to this interview. Alex has also kindly agreed to do a mini meditation episode so you can experience a Zen meditation for yourself. Look out for it in the next episode. Now, I wonder what you'll be doing differently when it comes to those voices inside your head. Will you be attached or will you step back and observe and decide to do something else? Whatever happens, I hope you have a wonderful day. Thank you.